1: Get help with expenses that health insurance does not cover. Visit affleck.com to learn more. I'm not sure who's had more jobs, Seton or Paulie. Or who's had more interesting jobs, Ooh. Seton or Pauly. But like Seton worked at the airport. Yeah. He was a postman. Yep. Okay, those yeah. aren't exciting. Delivered flowers. Yeah. I was a security guard. I worked at a pharmacy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm... but Paulie was a bouncer. Yeah. DJ
2: at a country western nightclub.
1: And you sold beer at Scottsdale Stadium. Gosh, is that not the dream? I know. Miller Lite. I could use one right now. Times change, but you can always enjoy the great taste of Miller Lite. Tastes like Miller time. Miller Lite. Get it delivered to your door. Visit MillerLite.com Patrick. Or you can pick up some Miller Lite pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories, 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Big story of the day, though, had to do with gambling in the NFL. And the NFL is investigating the Colts defensive back, Isaiah Rogers, for gambling violations. David Purdom is covering this sport, done a great job. He covers uh, sports gambling for ESPN, kind enough to join us on short notice here. Walk us through this, David. How did we get to this point? How did the NFL, how was it brought to their attention?
3: Yeah, yesterday, a website called Sports Handle, it's a website that covers the sports gambling industry, do a real good job. They broke a story that the NFL was investigating a Colts player uh, for what they described as pervasive betting. And eventually, when that story came out, we saw everybody started digging in. We got confirmation that it was Isaiah Rogers. Um, It looks like he had opened an account in an associate's name and had been betting uh, pretty significantly, not necessarily total money mount, a bet mount. Uh, it was 25 to $50 bets, most of them, but there were a lot of them, like a 100 of them, and sources say that included some on Colts games.
1: Was he betting on the Colts to win or lose because we don't know that?
3: Yeah, we don't know that yet. So um, from my understanding, there were prop bets on player statistics, on game outcomes, on everything. There were a lot of bets being placed.
1: Uh. Was, was, were any of these bets due to, with injuries or anything? Like I'm trying to figure out exactly what the NFL is going to zero in. Obviously, him gambling. Did he gamble at the facility? Uh, what happened with Calvin Ridley and some of these Detroit Lions players, Washington Commander player? Uh, what, what is going to be the focus of the NFL, do you believe, on this story?
3: They'll look at it all, and I have the same questions that you do, exactly what was he using to to place these bets? Did he have any kind of inside information? Where was he placing the bets? A lot of these stories that have been popping up, and this is the eighth uh, player that has been suspended, or not yet been suspended, but has been allegedly violated gambling policy. Uh, They've been caught from what they call geolocation process, right? Uh, State regulators, gaming regulators have access to a geolocation portal that when a bet is placed, it pings them and it shows where that bet has been placed at. And if they start seeing a lot of bets from facilities uh, for the NFL, college campuses, college arenas, things like that, they'll look further into it. So that's how some of the other ones have been caught. We don't know if this is how this one played out, but uh, it's one of the ways that they do look at this stuff.
1: I uh, don't know if it's the right way to look at it, but somebody with the NFL said, hey, our system works. We caught him. Did the NFL catch him or did somebody else catch him? And then the NFL kind of, you know, it's cleaning up after the elephant in the circus. Well,
3: you know, the NFL has really kind of embedded itself in the sports gaming industry. They partnered with sports books. They partnered with state regulators. They have a good line of communication with a lot of the sports books. So when some of this happens and it usually is caught by gaming regulators, or again, those geolocation providers, you know, they'll relay it to the NFL. So, Maybe if the NFL didn't identify it, but they put themselves in positions where they would find out quickly.
1: What can the players uh, gamble on legally? So they can bet on any other
3: sport, just not professional football, as long as they're not doing it uh, at a team facility or on traveling with the team or with an illegal sportsbook. So if they use a sports sportsbook and they want to bet on the NBA, that's fine.
1: But. See, the big thing I want to know, it's like when Pete Rose told me years ago that he bet on the Reds to win every night. Well, he could still manipulate the lineup. Doesn't make sense that he bet on them if he was trying to make money. But if Isaiah Rogers bet against the Colts, even if it's 50 or $100, is that a lifetime ban?
3: You would think so. Uh, anytime a player has uh, stepped on, out of line like that, it is will be a significant penalty. So far, the ones that have been caught to uh, that have bet on the NFL, it's been at least a year suspension before they are allowed to apply for reinstatement. Um, so we'll have to see what the NFL does with this one. You mentioned Pete Rose and betting. A lot of people say, well, if they're betting on their team, why does it matter? Well, were they betting the same amount every time? Did they bet a little less on this game so they didn't try maybe as hard? It's just a can of worms that I don't think the NFL wants to open up at all. Uh, if you're involved in the NFL, you can't bet on the NFL. It's pretty sad, much that
4: simple.
1: And I'm wondering, Calvin Ridley had one of the baddest beats of all time, David. He bet 1500 and it cost him $11 million in salary here. Like at what point, point? I don't know what the NFL does with seminars, and maybe it's not even fair to ask you this, but are they trotting out Calvin Ridley to talk to the rookies? are they are are they doing things so these players know and I'm giving the players a little bit of doubt here that maybe they don't understand everything that they're allowed and not allowed to do but damn you got to grab their attention at some point cuz you're going to throw away an entire year of salary if not more
3: yeah 100% the NFL says it educates 17,000 employees players league personnel everybody every year on the sports betting policy now the sports betting policy changed just slightly in 2018, when we had the Supreme Court decision that kind of started this launch of sports betting across the nation, uh, they did switch their policy to allow players to bet on other sports. They did add in that nuance, though, that, hey, you can't bet on team facilities, at team facilities. So uh, there are some nuance, and I can definitely understand how maybe a player slips by if uh, I was to be tested on all of ESPN's internal policies. I probably would mess, mess something up as well. I can't understand how you bet on the NFL. In your head, in your heart, you know that's wrong. You're playing in it, you're getting inside information, you you know things that the public doesn't, and you're using that to bet or allowed to bet on it, that doesn't make any sense to me, and it certainly doesn't make any sense to you to risk million dollar salaries to make a few bets.
1: I get it when an athlete uses PEDs, that's to make his performance better. This is just, hey, I'm gambling and my friends are doing it and I'm gonna do it as well. What do you think is next in this story?
3: I think there's going to be more mistakes made. We've reported that we're expecting another wave of sports betting uh, violations, potential violations that the NFL is looking in. I've heard upwards of 10 to 15, even up to 20 uh, other players with violations. So I think we're going to see more mistakes in the coming years. There's a theory, an academic theory, where any time an illicit activity, such as betting, is introduced into a regulated environment, society takes a little bit to adjust. People don't know exactly what they're allowed to do and what they aren't allowed to do. And eventually it comes to the point where society adjusts and these mistakes and players will learn. These mistakes will kind of diminish a little bit. So I do think we're kind of in that adaptation theory uh, process right now.
1: David, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. We'll be uh, keeping an eye on you following the story.
6: Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
1: Basketball fans know that things can be a little crazy this time of the year. Anything can happen. Last-minute buzzer beaters, gaps in health coverage, When the last one happens, you need Affleck to help you bounce back from the expenses health insurance doesn't cover. You may have seen the Affleck duck working with some pretty famous coaches. But did you know Affleck is a leader in supplemental insurance? Look, health insurance wasn't designed to cover everything. So when an illness or injury happens, you can be hit with medical bills that some people don't have the cash on hand to pay. That's where Affleck comes in to help. When you're sick or injured, bills can rack up fast. Affleck pays cash that can be put towards medical expenses like co or even non-medical expenses like groceries or rent. It's never a good idea to try to play through an injury or illness, and that's why you got to level up your defense. When there's gaps in health coverage, Affleck has the assist for you. Get help with expenses health insurance doesn't cover. Visit Affleck.com to learn more. Let's bring in Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk Live co-host and, of course, contributor to Football Night in America. Mike's been writing a lot about the uh, latest gambling investigation with the NFL investigating the Colts defensive back, Isaiah Rogers, for gambling violations. How did this come about? How did it come to the NFL's attention, Mike?
4: Well, like all of these cases, Dan, what happens is when someone uses their phone. And George Orwell had it right, sort of. Big Brother is out there, but we're all carrying Big Brother around everywhere we go. So even though Isaiah Rogers reportedly had an account that was in the name of an associate, he's using his phone. Everywhere he goes, that phone is pinging. And ultimately, the information flows back to the sports books, And they have an obligation under Indiana law to figure out whether or not someone within the Colts organization is involved in sports wagering and one thing leads to another and they figure it out. And that's the one big message that the league, the teams, everyone needs to send to the players. You will get caught. You're not going to get away with this. And the consequences are dire. Dan, it astounds me that that message hasn't gotten through to the players the way it needs to. And if it has, and they're still doing it, Boy, that's a hell of a problem for the league.
1: What stands out in this story?
4: Well, the notion that there's evidence he bet on Colts games. Now, did he bet on the Colts to win, to cover, to win and not cover, to lose? Who knows? And people are already looking for evidence of maybe him half-assing it on a play because, aha, he bet against the Colts. Well, let's wait for the evidence. I hope there's full transparency so we know what he bet on, Did he bet on the Colts? Did he bet on the Colts to win, the cover, to lose, whatever? That's what stands out to me because that crosses a new bridge for the NFL. The way I read his statement, he seems to think this is just a situation where I'll take my medicine like Calvin Ridley did and then I'll be back. I think if he bet on the Colts, there's a good chance the commissioner in his unilateral and complete discretion says, you're done. You're gone. You're never playing in the NFL again.
1: I brought this up last hour. I don't know if the NFL brought Calvin Ridley to the rookie seminar or had him do a Zoom for all of these teams to really understand. He bet $1,500, and it cost him $11 million in salary, which is one of the worst beats you could ever have in gambling. <laughs> that you would like, Baseball tried to do this with Pete Rose, and he wouldn't do it, um, and, and, and therefore it cost him the Hall of Fame. Calvin Ridley's coming back with Jacksonville. I don't know what the NFL is doing with their seminars with rookies or with players just to update them every single year on, is there anything that's changing with gambling? Are you allowed to gamble? What are you allowed to gamble on? What are you not allowed to gamble on? Do we know what the NFL is doing to kind of protect itself?
4: Well, yeah, the NFL's policy is very simple for all non-players. You can't wager on any sports for players. You can wager on sports other than NFL football, but if you do it on team premises or on team business, it's a violation of the policy, which makes no sense, Dan. You could stand outside the front door to the facility. Pardon me. Somebody's at the door. My dog's reacting. You can stand outside the door to the facility, like someone's standing outside the door to my house right now, and you can bet on baseball, on basketball. But the minute you walk through the door, it's somehow an affront to the integrity of the game. That makes no sense. That's one of the problems. The policy has flaws, the policy has issues. And then the communication of it, whatever they're doing, they don't do a rookie symposium anymore because it costs too much money because, you know, times are tough now for the NFL. But coaches get in players' faces all the time. How hard is it to go player to player and say, look, look, you hear about all these other policies and you need to follow them, but this is the one that can derail your career. Here's what you can't do. Don't do it or you're done, and they'll catch you. Why aren't they doing it? Of all the coaches in the NFL, Dan Campbell would be the most likely to do it. He's got four going on, five guys now suspended. So something is is falling through the cracks. As one coach said to me not long ago, if you got enough players bringing home Fs on the report card, it's a problem with the teacher, not the student. So I think the league has a problem, the teams have a problem, And they need to get the players to better understand what they can and can't do.
1: Talking to Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk Live co-host, the show that precedes ours with Chris Sims on Peacock, the uh, Bills uh, Stadium. Are we building stadiums and you get a Super Bowl when you build a stadium, Mike?
4: Well, if it's got a dome, yes. I'm not aware of the open-air outdoor stadium quid pro quo. Pittsburgh didn't get one. Now, Pittsburgh would have an issue with hotel rooms. New Jersey got one, but that was the one-time experiment out in the weather, and they got lucky. They missed it by just like a day on each side, a snowstorm. So if it was domed, yes. I don't think Buffalo's going to get one just because they're building a new stadium with state money, but if it's a warm-weather location or a dome, then they find a way to give you a Super Bowl for your trouble.
1: But if they had a dome, would Buffalo get a Super Bowl?
4: you've got the issues with hotel space where would everybody stay remember in jacksonville all those years ago they had to bring in cruise ships to make up for the lack of hotel rooms that's one of the big problems to having a super bowl maybe they'll get a draft now i don't know it seems like everybody's going to get a draft at some point so that's not some big thing but this was more about a horribly outdated stadium that needed to be replaced and the bottom line is this if the state and local authorities in buffalo and Western New York aren't going to pay a big piece of the bill, there's going to be some other community that will. That's why the Raiders aren't in Oakland. It was never going to happen in Oakland, and here's Las Vegas with $750 million in free money. There's always going to be another community out there that's willing to to pay the money to attract a team, and that's the, the quiet leverage that every team has over the city it's currently in when it's time to build a new stadium. Here we
1: are first week in June. What's uh, next on the NFL offseason calendar?
4: Well, the mandatory mini camps are starting to open. That's the closest thing to real football practice until training camp. And, you know, you kind of keep one eye open on the possibility that somebody's going to get injured. DeAndre Hopkins, he's been out there for a week now. I think he wants way much more than what anyone is willing to pay him. That's why no one has signed him. Maybe he sits and waits for the inevitable injury. Maybe he waits into training camp. Then all of a sudden somebody's going to have an urgency to sign him. But that's the big name that's out there that we're all waiting to see where he's going to land. But I think the fact that it's been 11 days since we knew he was going to be cut, that tells me his number is a lot higher than whatever teams are willing to do. Why is
1: Aaron Rodgers still trying to and litigate is too strong a word, but he's trying to negotiate this with the media of what happened and why he, he's not the bad guy with Green Bay. Why, why is this still a topic or he allows it to be a topic?
4: sometimes you can be so smart dan you outsmart yourself and i think that's what he did here he tried to set up a narrative that when the season ended in 2022 and he left everything was fine they want we want you back we want you back then he goes into his dark closet and he comes out and he finds out they're shopping him. we well, had to make that narrative work and once it started to show that maybe it didn't work that's when it becomes well Oh, they try to call me. Well, I only have I only have one bar on my phone. I have no bars on my phone. So I did. not I And it all just began to crumble. So now he's chasing a narrative that was flimsy from the get go as it falls apart. and He feels compelled to to now say, oh, wait, they decided to trade me because I didn't return their phone calls. Well, I only talk to the people I like anyway. I mean, the bottom line is it was dysfunctional. He didn't want to be there. They had gotten to the point where they were ready to move on from him. But he feels compelled to come out of this as the victim that I didn't do anything wrong. I have no responsibility for this. Everybody's got responsibility for this one, team and player. And I don't know why, as he moves forward with the Jets, he wants to do this. But, Dan, for the Jets, the warning is tread lightly, because all this stuff he's saying about the Packers now, who knows, in a year (laughs) or two he may be saying it about you. Uh,
1: Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Dan. Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk Live co-host, and of course, uh, NBC Football Night in America. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app.
3: Hey, it's me, Rob Parker. Check out my weekly MLB podcast, Inside the Parker,
6: 2025 QX 80 coming this summer.
1: Basketball fans know that things can be a little crazy this time of the year. Anything can happen. Last minute buzzer beaters gaps in health coverage. But when the last one happens, you need Affleck to help you bounce back from the expenses health insurance doesn't cover. You may have seen the Affleck duck working with some pretty famous coaches, but did you know Affleck is a leader in supplemental insurance? Look, Health insurance wasn't designed to cover everything. So when an illness or injury happens, you can be hit with medical bills that some people don't have the cash on hand to pay. That's where Affleck comes in to help. When you're sick or injured, bills can rack up fast. Affleck pays cash that can be put towards medical expenses like copays or even non-medical expenses like groceries or rent. It's never a good idea to try to play through an injury or illness and that's why you got to level up your defense. When there's gaps in health coverage, Affleck has the assist for you. Get help with expenses health insurance doesn't cover. Visit Affleck.com to learn more. Jeff Van Gundy will be on the call along with Mike Breen, Mark Jackson. Game 3 NBA Finals tomorrow night, tip-off 8.30 Eastern on ABC. Uh, it was on this date in 1984, Kevin McHale lines, Kurt Rambis. Game 4 NBA Finals. And I'm not sure, was Kevin McHale not called for a foul in that? That would have been a playoff foul. Yeah, Paulie.
4: I'm watching the play now. It's chaos because when Rambus gets hit, he gets hit by Gerald Henderson first. And then Rambus uh McHale's McHale. coming from back, the back and hooks him around the neck. But the ref, the ref is being blinded. He can't see it. I don't see a foul call. Wow.
1: And
6: I'm reading an article here that says uh, in 1984. However, maybe hard to believe, but only McHale received
1: a foul for his action. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That was playoff basketball back then, Jeff. Right? That was a regular foul.
2: Yeah, there wasn't. I don't. I don't know when the flagrant foul came into being, but I just my first one that I remember is when uh, I was an assistant with the Knicks and John Starks clothesline Scottie Pippen in, in a similar manner. And I think that was a flagrant foul, but you were not getting thrown out for that back then. That was like bad boy slap on the wrist, put the ball back in play.
1: Both teams are playing the "we get no respect" card. Uh, which one has a better argument in this series?
2: Neither. One's a top seed in the in the West and have you know was in in first place since December, and the other team beat the two best records in basketball on the way to the finals, So I think both have gotten the appropriate amount of uh, credit for what they've been able to accomplish, which is immense. They've done great things, and I think this. Uh, they, no one respects us. It may play well in their own individual locker rooms, but I don't think it's true. Is this a pivotal game three tomorrow night? I think they always are. I think uh, – You know, the split by Miami, uh, what a great fourth quarter they played. And the two days off lets both teams gather and uh, re-energize and recharge. And I think Denver has played really good basketball for six of the eight quarters. I thought they had a bad first. Or really, like, they had two bad fourth quarters. I mean, really, like... Bad fourth quarters in both games, and their start in game two uh, was probably very unacceptable to Michael Malone.
1: I know you have to know your team as a coach, but Michael Malone calling out his team for a lackluster performance, especially on defense, um, that's not Eric Spolstra's uh, playbook, but it is Michael Malone. Uh, are you surprised at all with that tact, that approach by him? You know, I've always
2: wondered – what we want out of coaches. When you ask them a question, do you want an honest response or do you want like him saying we tried hard? Because if you go back and you watch the game, there were a lot, too many possessions that were either uh, lacked intelligent process or didn't give enough effort to get the job done. So I'm not sure exactly what we want him to say there. Like, yeah, fouling two three-point shooters, love that. Um, we gotta keep doing that. I, I don't know what we want from these coaches. He could talk in more cliches. He could talk more uh, you know, around the issues, but I think Denver and their players are used to his directness. And I think okay. uh, if you have the right best players, the, the right best players want to be talked to in a straightforward manner.
1: Well, if he was going to be honest and then he actually called out Michael Porter Jr., then I would have said that's a coach who's being honest because Michael Porter played horribly in that game. You're kind of lumping everybody in that we didn't play. It's like we we played 100%, 70% of the time, and uh, that's why we lost this game. And then you have Eric Spolstra where Ramona Shelburne is saying, hey, you know, uh, I'm simplifying this, but are you trying to make uh, Joker more of a scorer than a passer? And he basically said it's an untrained eye. Uh, Reggie Miller said the same thing, what Ramona said. You know, you you want to keep him from passing the ball, getting everybody involved in that. Was that a crazy question by Ramona to Eric Spolstra?
2: No. And I think if you watch the game, uh, it would tell you that they gave less help. Now, that doesn't mean they want him to score. But I think when you watch what their priorities are, when you're playing against a great player, and I don't care who the great player is, you can't take away everything, but you need to take away something. And it usually starts with taking away easy baskets created either for yourself or others and the free throws. And I think he had a couple of great passes to Gordon on cuts uh, that led directly to easy baskets. But other than that, because they made him play a lot of one-on-one, he had to score up and through really sound defense. And so I know what Eric is saying, like you, you don't have it in your power to just say we're going to make him a scorer. But I think uh, Ramona's question was spot on in that they did take away one of his great strengths.
1: Yeah, if those players hit – Five of those shots, then he's got a triple-double, or at least close to it, and then we're not even talking about this. But they they made those shots tougher on uh, the rest of the Nuggets. Therefore, he didn't get those assists that he normally gets. We're talking to Jeff Van Gundy. He'll be on the call with Mike Breen, Mark Jackson, Game 3 of the Finals. That's tomorrow night at 8.30 Eastern, tip-off on ABC. What is going on with Kyrie Irving in Dallas?
2: In what way?
1: Well, the story came out that he was recruiting LeBron to come to Dallas, if you believe that. Um so he doesn't even have a contract with the Mavs, I don't believe, but do you believe that he was trying to recruit LeBron to the Mavs this past year?
2: I don't I couldn't imagine that because the fit between Doncic, Irving and and James doesn't seem to be like a a complimentary, seamless type of fit. So, And I can't imagine LeBron James leaving the Lakers um, by trade. I mean, they just went to the Western Conference Finals. He has a son who's going to play at USC. He has another one who's going to be, I think, a junior in high school who's a very fine player. So I can't imagine James uprooting his family at this point. Doesn't make sense to me.
1: No I didn't know if it was a leverage play on Kyrie's part or LeBron's part to maybe get Kyrie to go to the Lakers. could you could you see that?
2: Well I could see any I could see it like the Lakers wanting Kyrie Irving. I mean he's obviously an extremely talented player. Now how they would create the cap room to be able to sign him uh, to the value that he'll command? You know, that's problematic, obviously. But I I could absolutely – I mean, they've won a championship together. And I think one thing Irving doesn't get credit for, even in that short stint with Dallas, is that he's able to fit in with other really good players. He fit in with LeBron James in Cleveland. With Doncic, he played off the ball more, still produced at a high level. So I I think he's one of those guys who has – so much skill that he can play in many different ways and always fit in with the really special players.
1: No halftime, no free throws? You've been throwing these out when you get bored? Is that uh, what's going on, Jeff? Well,
2: somebody said to me, I don't agree with you, right? They, and I said, sometimes I don't even agree with myself <laughs> after much consideration, but... <laughs> but can we start smaller let's start smaller okay let's go to the international rule on when the ball hits the rim the ball is live and there's no goaltending once the ball hits the rim i love it you, could not, you can knock it away or you can put it in i think would add a lot of uh really good athletic play and it would also relieve the officials from making what's nearly an impossible call so let's start there i still don't believe the only guy who loves free throws is, like, Mike Breen. He loves talking about free throws, and, and he, I, I always kid him. He loves to wax poetic during free throws about a sob story that's been overcome. But it's really the extra point of football. It's boring. It's, like, it's time-consuming. And so I would like to, um, you know, take that out of the game until the last four minutes where pressure free throws obviously you wouldn't want to take that away. Well, and wait a minute. Not- we
1: move, we move the extra point back in football. So why don't we move the free throw back to the top of the key?
2: Fine. Now, now we're talking. Okay. Now we're
1: talking. Okay.
2: Let's do that. All right. Let's do that. Or, or let's even get a new line in between the free throw line and the top of the key or, or even, Hey, let's go for something like USFL ish. If you, if you want to shoot a three, you could get an extra half point. I don't know. Let's spice it up. The free throw game is boring.
1: Okay, and you can't get dap at the free throw line. We have to do away with slapping hands if you make the free throw or miss the free throw. That's a waste of time.
2: Agreed. And if you miss the free throw, there should be some – point of shame and humiliation. <laughs>
1: like, you know, so uh, Okay. All right. So we're workshopping this. I, I'm fine with uh, takeaway offensive goaltending. Uh, free throws, let's move them back. No dap at free throw line. And you want to do away with halftime.
2: And and can I add one okay. else? Sure. Because I, yeah. I, I've been on this flopping thing for years. It got better for a while. It's regressed because they've eliminated the punishment they they used to when they made a hard stand on it they find uh, players five thousand dollars and they put them on a list right and <laughs> for whatever reason they've gone away from that i do believe there should be after evaluation a scarlet love uh, letter f <laughs> affixed to <laughs> offending players jerseys for a certain amount of time if it's a game Five games, but I think there should be a reminder out there to the officials. Yep, this guy's going to try to trick you, and you're not going to fall for okay, it.
1: Okay, how about this? We get a little letter F, and then we sew it on your jersey, the scarlet F, and then we see how many Fs you have on your jersey that season.
2: Like the Buckeyes helmet, yes. or, you know, like, yeah.
1: Yeah. Michigan Wolverines. Yes. Okay. I,
2: I, you know what? I like how you're thinking. Dan, you should be on the competition committee.
1: Well, I did say to uh, the commissioner, uh, basketball's positionless, so you can't have Rudy Gobert on uh, you know, one of the first, second, or third teams all NBA just because he's a center. Get rid of that, and he did. I said we need to have a minimum that you have to play to qualify for any kind of awards. He did that. And the other one was I said you got to get rid of the carrying. It's getting embarrassing and you know the kids in grade school and high school are emulating what they see with the pros uh jason tatum can't dribble a basketball without carrying the ball jeff why are we allowing this
2: well every year there's these emphasis and they always start with traveling and uh carrying and they're called for maybe you know a couple weeks and then People like you're messing with my game, you know. Like you know, it starts to impact so They go away from. It. But like if you watch a hesitation dribble, you know, guys going and then they hesitate and they lift up a little bit. Yeah. It's you have to carry the ball. Like there's, it, you know, as you lift up, your hand is going to go under the ball. So the fans, the what they call themselves as purists, if they really wanted to see travels called, you could basically call it travel on every possession. Is that what we want? Same with carrying. I think it sounds good in theory, but actually implementing it, it would take away and has taken away. And yet the defense is already at such a huge disadvantage. I know. That we we keep making it harder and harder on the defense. You know, very little contacts allowed. And if you let people travel and carry the ball, you know, then they are, quote, unguardable.
1: Well, you go back to Allen Iverson. Did did Iverson create the carry? No, he.
2: But he was a he was a great proponent of it. Like he was. Good Who's at the it,
1: forefather like, of the carry? Like you know, that's a good question. Like, like Vlade is to flopping.
2: Like I would say, who was the first guy with this? Like the spin dribble, where they would just like basically cup it and bring it Earl, over. Like, Earl Monroe. Earl, then let let's give Earl some credit. You know, he's. For for that, and he started a great high school in New York City where underserved children are being taken care of. So I want to give Earl credit for both things.
1: Yeah, but I don't think you want credit for bringing the carry into the game.
2: Well, again, it's such a fine line, and I think this is where you don't want it to be called by the letter of the law, like travels, right? So you mentioned Reggie Miller. If he was coming off a pin down to his left, He would catch it on his right pivot foot, looking shot. But then, if he didn't have shot, and he came to a stop, he would go to his left. He would just switch his pivot foot because he felt more comfortable on his left. A lot of people do that. That's like league wide. Do we want that called? I think as a league, we have to decide: do we want that called, or don't we? Because when you when you say we want travels enforced. I, I really don't think we know the total impact it would have on the flow and rhythm of the game.
1: Okay. Are there more travels in an NBA game or holding calls in an NFL game?
2: Oh, there's more holding calls. Okay.
1: And,
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a hold probably on every play, right? In the NFL, yeah. I would suspect. I, I would think. Yeah. It's like the illegal defense or the defensive three. Like that's called like below once a game. And if you watch it, you know, Like you mentioned, Rudy Gobert before, you know, he's going to stay in there until they call it. And so, yeah, I I just think it depends on what we want.
1: What are you going to do the rest of the day?
2: Well, we have to go over and do interviews where Mike asks probing questions (laughs) of
1: players,
2: tries to bring them into tears. And uh, that sounded snarky,
1: Jeff. That sounded, not at all. That sounded snarky. Trying to
2: make them reflect on uh, on sad things. And, And so, it brings a tear to my eye. Yeah, I bet it does.
1: Um, I bet it yeah. does. Yeah.
2: And then, you know, we last week we played pickleball. I and uh, but we sustained an injury. Mike Green play, like popped the calf, so we're down <laughs> a man. Um, so, you know, when you get to this age, like maybe what's called lunch or early dinner, you know, and then we're gonna like call it night, you know. So,
1: I don't get pickleball. I played it once. I don't get it. I you
2: know what I don't really get about pickleball? Watching it on TV. Like I tried to watch it on TV and I'm like, those little dink shots back over back like I'm like, uh all right, you're losing me now. Like, <laughs> you know, I I don't get that. It was sort of fun to play, but not as much action as tennis.
1: And I think it's great that uh, people who are not watching on TV on Peacock. That Jeff has double beds here, so a bed for him and a bed for his brother. and uh, Or Mike Green. Yeah. I don't know. I don't He's know the to... cost measures there at the mothership anymore.
2: I, I thought we were going to get through a whole <laughs> interview without the mothership, and I'm so glad we didn't. But, yeah, you know, I might invite Stan down for a sleepover. I expected a king. I got – a. Two like <laughs> twins. So hey, Stan, make the trip down. When's, you know?
1: when's the last time you had a sleepover with your brother?
2: Oh gee, I mean when when I was making no money, I went down and, and had to recruit, like when he was in New York, so I probably didn't pay him for uh <laughs> some crappy place he had in Yonkers, maybe. Like that would <laughs> probably be the last time. Yeah. Uh
1: Play nice tomorrow night with Breen, okay?
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, we're gonna try. Okay. Mike, Mike is, Mike is like, like he's coming off back-to-back Emmy award wins, so he's becoming a little bit less, um, uh, what do they call? Collaborative. He's he's in
1: the basketball Hall of Fame, Jeff.
2: I know. Are you? Yeah. No, I'm not going to be there anytime
1: soon. You've contributed to the game. You're a contributor to the game. You're 17th NBA Finals. Come on, if Breen can get in.
2: Well, I think when you you pose as a serious thing to eliminate halftime, you
1: lose a lot of credibility. Thank you, Jeff. You
2: got it. Take care, Dan.
1: That's uh, Jeff Van Gundy of the Mothership, a former NBA head coach.